Uh, we're going to begin with just a short, maybe some of you will be familiar with this, but just a short uh, little video clip to start off this morning. You want your state of kind material, freshman? Well, thanks. No, no, no. no. He's an Omega Howl guy. Back off. We saw him first. No way. We did. I'll take it from here, gentlemen. Johnny Worthington, president of Roar Omega Roar. What's your name, Big Blue? Jimmy Sullivan. Friends call me Solly. This guy's a Sullivan? Like the famous Sullivan? I can't believe it! That is crazy! Chad, <laughs> calm down. I'm sorry. Sully, any freshman with the guts to pull off a stunt like that has got future scarer written all over him. Hey, did you see me ride the pig? That took guts. Slow down, squirt! This party is for scare students only! Oh, sorry, killer, but you might want to hang out with someone a little more your speed. They look fun. Oh, hater! Wanna join Uzma Kappa? We have cake! Go crazy. Go crazy. How many are uh, how many are familiar with with that movie, Monsters University? As some of you maybe. All right, so one of my kids' favorite movies. Um, as you can see, and I started with that clip not just because I wanted to see if you were awake this morning, but I started with that clip because what we see in here is. And what we also see really in the, the heart of every human being, and that is at some level, there is an innate desire in us to belong to something. I think if we were all honest in this room, at some level, um, there is something in us where we, we long to belong or we long to be a part of something, whether it's a part of a group or part of an organization. There's this, there's this general sense inside of every human heart to want to belong, to want to be a part of something. You see uh, here in that movie clip, uh, Mike Wazowski, um, he felt left out. He wanted to belong to uh, this very important, very significant uh, group, but he was left out. And I think we know, and I think if we've had any conversation with any person, every single individual, every single human being, deep down in their heart, there is a desire and a longing yes. to belong. Uh, I, I experienced this even from a very early age. I know, and maybe some of you can attest to this as well. When I was in elementary um, at gym class, when they started picking uh, team members for dodgeball or kickball, you always wanted to make sure that you got picked for the good team or, or, or get picked on the right team. And so there was always this desire, I want to be picked first, or I want to make sure uh, that I get picked on the team that's going to win. Nobody wants to be on the team that's going to lose. Unfortunately, that, that happened often, um, even in my own life. In middle school, I remember uh, when we moved from Winchester, uh, Indiana, to when we moved to Muncie. I was in sixth grade. It was uh, in November. So I just started sixth grade, just started middle school in Winchester, made the transition, started going to school at Wilson Middle School. And, and I know at least in my sixth grade year, if there's a year that I can erase from my, from my life, it was my sixth grade year in middle school. It was um, I don't want to say it was horrific, but, but I really had a hard time trying to develop uh, some relationships, develop some friends. There was a sense and a longing that I wanted to be a part of something, but even in that move and that transition, it made it very difficult. And even as adults, I think uh, whether it's a part of a certain organization, whether it's a part of a club, um, I know for me, um, I have a desire to be a part of the McAllister's Reward Club. Um, there's some great benefits. I love McAllister's. And so um, anytime I can be a part of a reward club like that where they're sending me you know, free iced teas or um, you know, other, other perks, there's always this desire to want to belong. There's something special about belonging. There's something special about community, about being a part of something. Why? Because it makes us, as human beings, it makes us feel valued. It makes us feel wanted. 
It, it gives us a sense of purpose. When we belong to something, whether it's a club, whether it's a church, whether it's an organization, it gives us a sense of purpose and direction because we are a part of something that's greater than ourselves. Why, why is there this sense of belonging? It's because that every single human... I want you to hear this this morning. This is key. This is really the jump-off point this morning. Every single human being was created to be in community. Every single one of us, we are all created in the image and likeness of God, and we were all created for relationship. I think we can all pre be pretty honest in here this morning and know that we aren't, we aren't wired to be void of relationships and to live in isolation from one another. I think if there's anything that this pandemic has taught us when it comes to being isolated or quarantined as human beings, we weren't meant to be in isolation. We weren't created to be void of relationships. Now, maybe you're in here, maybe you're a little bit more of an introvert and, and you prefer to be on your own or by yourself. And I think some of us are wired that way. But at the end of the day, there's still something in our heart that is longing to be in community, longing to be in relationship, whether it's with uh, a spouse or whether it's with a friend. There is a longing inside of every human heart. Why? Because we were created. We were created for community. We were created to be in relationship. That was part of God's design for humanity, for you, for me, for all of us to be in community with one another. If you go all the way back to Genesis, in the creation story, when God created man, he created Adam. Remember, Adam, before Eve was even present, um, he created man and he looked at man. He had a relationship. There was a vertical relationship. Adam had a relationship with, with God and, and, and there was an intimacy that the two of them had between one another. But there was still this, this emptiness, not because God wasn't enough, but God recognized the importance of, of, of man having relationship with another human being. So not just the vertical relationship, but also the horizontal relationship. So what did God say when he created, after he created Adam? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Not that God wasn't enough, but he recognized the need of humanity to be in relationship with one another. So what did God do? Not only did he create man, he created woman. So Adam and Eve could have relationship with one another. Uh, I think uh, our Western culture has this tendency to really be hostile to really all things communal. Um, we, we live in a culture, and it's not all bad. Some of this is good, but we live in a culture that really exalts um, individualism and, and rewards independence. And those things aren't bad. Those things aren't, aren't wrong. But, but when they start to neglect or they start to go against our, our design as human beings, we've been created, God in, in image to have relationship with one another, then we begin to fall off the path. Our hearts, folks, our hearts, even, even if we're still an introvert, even if we're still somebody that, that likes to, to be by ourselves and, and really aren't really interested in large crowds, still there is something in our heart that, that craves, that longs for relationship. Why? Because you and I were created that way. We were created in the image of God. And, and what did God say when he created Adam and Eve? He said, let us make man in our own image. So even within the relationship of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was community. There was a relationship that existed. There was mutual love, mutual submission that existed in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And since you and I are created in His image, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God, folks, in every human heart. There is a longing, there is a desire for community. 
for relationship. We can push against that and, and maybe we're, we're more of, a, of an individualistic type of person and that's fine, but still deep down in our hearts there is still this longing and this craving to belong. This craving for belonging can be satisfied when you and I, when humanity joins God's family. Uh, the family of God, and that's really what I want to talk about this morning in this basic series. We're, we're really talking about this idea of community, but I want to focus this morning talking specifically about the family of God or the community of God that you and I have the privilege to be a part of. Family of God is unlike any other club. It's unlike any other organization. It's not like a, a rewards or a perks members club. It's not like some other organization that exists in our world. The family of God is very unique. And you and I have the special privilege and invitation to be a part of the family of God. That, that invitation to join God's family is an invitation that's given to anyone. And it's an undeserved privilege. But nonetheless, being a part of God's family is a privilege. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 2. This is what he says, because of our faith, because of our faith, our faith in what Christ has done on the cross, because of that faith, Paul says, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of what he did at Calvary, because of what he accomplished on the cross, and because he is alive and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, our faith in Jesus Christ, it gives us access. It, it, it is a place of what Paul says, undeserved privilege. It's an undeserved privilege to be a part of God's family, but it's still a privilege nonetheless. I want us to take a few moments this morning, and I won't be super long today. I know last week I was a little bit longer uh, than normal, but I want to take just a few moments to examine the full scope of what it looks like to belong to God's family. How many are thankful this morning for that undeserved privilege that we have? Amen. To be a part of the family of God. It's unlike, unlike any other organization. It's not like being a part of, of, a, of a club or an organization. It's so much different and so much more beautiful. I want to talk about the full scope of what that looks like and why it should be a worthy pursuit of humanity. I want to look, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It'll also be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read three verses, verses 17 through 19. There's, uh, if you have time, uh, later on, go back and read all of Ephesians chapter 2. Really, I would encourage you to start in chapter 1. Um, you'll get the full, fuller context of what Paul is saying. But, but go back and read Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and, and what I will talk about this morning, I think, will make even more sense as you read the whole chapter. But let's look at this, these three verses. Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 17, here's what Paul says about belonging to God's family. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. Uh, earlier in chapter 2, um, Paul actually describes the Gentiles or those um, uh, that used to or that were far from God. He described them as, as children of wrath. They, um, they were apart or outside of relationship with God. But then he says, God has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles. You used to be far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, verse 18, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit's uh, verse, uh, because of what Christ has done for us. Now listen, this is verse 19. So now you Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. 
You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. And look at this last phrase. You are members of God's family. How many are thankful that we are members of God's family? He's speaking, Paul is writing, he's writing specifically to a, a Gentile audience. He's, he's writing to those who used to be far away from God. But, but what Paul is saying, he said, this good news has been brought to you Gentiles. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that God, he came in the form of, uh, of a human being. Uh, he lived a sinless, perfect life. He went to the cross, died, was buried, and then was resurrected and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. What Paul is saying, this good news, this gospel has come to you. And it's also brought peace to the Jews who were actually near to God. And because of that, because of that, we are no longer, Paul says, we're no longer strangers and foreigners. But instead, we are citizens and we are members of God's family. I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk, first of all, about just the possibility of joining God's family. How, how, is, how is it even possible for you and me? Because I think all of us in this room, if we're not already um, a member of God's family, there is a longing and, de and a desire in our heart to be a part of the family of God. So how is that even possible? How do we, who are um, imperfect, sinful humanity, how do we become a part of God's family? Well, first of all, the cross of Jesus Christ makes entrance into his family possible in the first place. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. We read it already. Uh, chapter 2. Now all of us can come to the Father. How? Because of what Christ has done for us. Entrance into God's family is possible for you, for me, and for all of humanity because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did, because of his shed blood at Calvary, any person has the possibility or the invitation to come near to God. He makes entrance into his family possible. Uh, if, if we know the, the story of the gospel at all, we know that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, what happened? Um, sin. Sin created a gap between a holy God and a sinful humanity. And if you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament really is a picture of God's people trying to draw near to God through the law or, or through good works or through sacrifices and, and offerings. But, but there was always a falling short because there was still uh, this sin problem that had not been dealt with. There was a gap between a holy God and an imperfect, sinful humanity. And they were trying to get near to God. And, and once a year, the, the great high priest could go behind the veil and, and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, but only the priest could go, and only one time a year. And man, if you read, if you get through like Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you will see there was a lot that was involved in, in terms of just having a close relationship with God to, to atone for the sins of the people. And so sin created this gap. And, and we even see when the temple is built, there is this picture that describes the distance that existed between a holy God and an imperfect, um, uh, imperfect, sinful humanity. And what that picture was, there was a veil. There was a veil that separated the most holy place where God's presence dwelt. So on the other side of that veil, in what was called the most holy place, is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And, and the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. But, but there was a veil, there was a curtain that separated the most holy place, God's presence, from the Holy of Holies. And only once a year could the high priest go behind that veil, behind that curtain, to offer up sacrifices. And so, so there is this gap. Uh, there is this, this, this valley that exists between a holy God and an imperfect human being. But the beautiful thing about the cross that the cross of Jesus Christ becomes really that bridge 
that allows you, me, and all of humanity to fellowship, to commune with a perfect, holy God. Uh, because, folks, we can't, if there is this big, big gap here between a holy God and an imperfect, broken humanity, there's no way we can get to God on our own. I mean, I'm not talking about a, you know, a little gap where I can just, you know, jump over and I'm there. Uh, I'm talking about a, a massive gap that sin created that distance that distances us from a holy God. But guess what? The cross of Jesus, I'm trying to paint this picture for you. The cross of Jesus Christ is that bridge that allows you and me to draw near to God, to have access to Him. And it makes possible for you, for me, and all of humanity to be a part of the family of God. That's why I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful that, that I don't have to try to earn it. I'm thankful that I don't have to jump myself to get there because I'm going to fall short every time. If I try to jump to get to God, guess what? I'm falling in that hole. Never going to make it. But Jesus Christ and the cross, I'm able to walk. I'm able to draw near to Him. Our part then. What is, what is our part? So, so we're able to draw near to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. But what is our part in all of this? It's not works. What does Paul say in Ephesians? This is why I said read all of chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're not saved. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so our good works is not our part. Because our good works isn't going to get us across that gap to a holy God. Instead, what is our part? Our part is faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Him. Faith in the cross. Faith in that bridge that I, that I know, that I believe in, that I'm going to trust in, that will allow me to have access to Him. Jesus will say, Jesus says very clearly to His own disciples and to those that were listening in, what does Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father how except through me. Not my works, not through a relationship with somebody else, not through um, how much money I give or what my church attendance is. That doesn't save me. That doesn't give me access. That doesn't allow me to be a member of God's family. What allows me to be a member is what Christ has done in trusting and having faith in His work and His work alone. Paul will say in Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans chapter three, verse twenty-two: We are made right with God. How by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So. Entrance into God's family is possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ and our faith in what he accomplished. Number two, what are the, what are the privileges then? I, I mentioned that, that being a part of God's family, as Paul says, it's an undeserved privilege. But what are the privileges of being a part of God's family? Because remember, his, being a part of his family is, is so much better, so much more unique, so special and so beautiful compared to any other club that we might be a part of. There's several things I want to share with you. Number one, one of the privileges of being a member of God's family is that we receive a change in familial status. Let me, let me explain this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. I think Paul says it best. He says, so now you Gentiles, listen, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. That's, that's who you used to be. You used to be far away from God. You used to be a stranger. You used to be a, a, a foreigner. But he says you're no longer strangers and foreigners. But because you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Paul says you are now citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Uh, so there is a change in our familial status. We, we used to be foreigners. We used to be strangers. But now through Jesus Christ, we are members. We are citizens of God's family. 
We were once orphans and fatherless, but now you and I, because of Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. And you and I have, been, have become adopted sons and daughters of Him. Secondly, second privilege that we have being a part of God's family is we have an opportunity to encounter sweet fellowship with Christ and with others. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, John writes these words, We, we proclaim to you, what we ourselves have, already, have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, John says, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. As members of God's family, you and I have the, the privilege, the undeserved privilege of having sweet fellowship and communion with a holy God and with one another. This fellowship that, that Paul, or excuse me, that John speaks of, this is a fellowship and a communion that existed in the garden and God created Adam and Eve. Before sin entered the equation, there was sweet fellowship that existed between Adam mm -hmm. and Eve and God. Yes. Uh, chapter 3, it talks about how Adam and Eve would walk in, in the cool of the day in the garden yes. with God. There was intimacy, there was fellowship, there was communion. Yes. And, and, and so sin entered the equation and broke that intimacy but when we enter into relationship with God, when we become a part of His family, folks, we, we get to experience that sweet fellowship. At the same time, we're still looking forward to the day when there will be perfect fellowship, where we will be with Him in heaven and we will experience once again that true and pure intimacy. Fellowship reflects, fellowship reflects that of the Godhead. I already said there was already sweet fellowship and communion between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where there was mutual love and submission that existed in the fellowship that we long for reflects that relationship. And you know what? It also reflects, it also reflects the, uh, the two greatest commandments. Uh, what does Jesus say? What's the greatest commandment? We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so as we come into fellowship with him, as we become a member of God's family, you and I have the privilege of experiencing sweet fellowship, communion with a holy God. We also have the privilege of experiencing that same fellowship with one another. Number three, another privilege of being a part of his family is that we have constant access into his glorious Presence. How many are thankful for the access that we have into God's presence? Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 3, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, you and I, we can come boldly and we can come confidently into God's faithful presence. What do we know about the presence of God? The, the psalmist says that there, um, in his presence, Psalm 16, verse 11, there is fullness of joy. We also know Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we are invited to come boldly into God's presence yes. where we will do what? Where we will receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We also know when we come into his presence that shame is undone and our life is given meaning and purpose. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, um, if you have time, I'm not going to read the story, but, but sometime go back and read Isaiah chapter 6. It's the call of Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the prophets of the Lord. 
And uh, in chapter 6, we get a picture of his call uh, in, into prophetic ministry. And, and what's very interesting in that story is that actually um, Isaiah receives this um, magnificent revelation of who God is. The, the train of God's robe was filling, or the train of his robe was filling, uh, filling the room. And, and there's this sense of God's presence that is, that is real, that is powerful as Isaiah is seeing this incredible vision. But then following this vision, uh, we see Isaiah's response. The response to God and his revelation. And this was Isaiah's response. He says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. He, he recognized that in the presence of God, all shame was undone. And his life was then given meaning and purpose. Because following that encounter with God, Isaiah becomes a mouthpiece for God. He becomes a, a man, a prophet, who will speak the word of God. And sometimes he spoke some very challenging words to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah, but he encountered God's presence in a powerful way. So one of the beautiful privileges that we have as being members of God's family is you and I, we have access into his presence at any moment, any part of our day. How, how, many, uh, how many like people to listen to you when you talk? I think, I think most of us do. Um, I know sometimes as human beings and, and maybe even as spouses, I, I might throw myself out there on the, uh, the altar of sacrifice in this, uh, this morning and say sometimes maybe I'm listening with my eyes, but maybe not listening with my ears. Um, and sometimes Sarah's probably saying, will you listen to me a little bit better? But, but the beautiful thing, one of the privileges that you and I have as members of God's family is we have constant access mm -hmm. to God. Yes. Uh, he inclines his ear to us when we pray. When we pray, we have his complete, full, undivided attention. He hears us. when we, There's no distraction. It doesn't matter if all of us in this room are praying to God at the same. He's God. He can handle it. And he is giving each of us his undivided attention. We have access into his presence. And what a beautiful privilege that you and I have. Number four, another privilege that we have is we get to experience the joys of the body of Christ. And yes, there are joys. Um, there are challenges, but there's also joys of being a part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Um, jot these scriptures down and, and you'll get a fuller picture if you go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 gives a beautiful picture uh, of what it looks like for the body of Christ to operate faithfully together. Uh, some of us, and, and what Paul does is Paul uses the body uh, as kind of an, of, of an analogy to describe how the church of Jesus Christ should function and operate. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that there's some of us in this room today might be an arm. Some of us in this room that might be a leg. Some of us in this room might be an ear, some of us might be a nose, some of us might be an eye, some of you might just be a toe or a finger, it doesn't matter. Paul will say very specifically, there's no insignificant part when it comes to the body of Christ, because the only way that the arm will function properly and correctly is when the arm is attached to the rest of the body. Yes. If I, um, not to get too graphic here, but if I chop off my arm and I throw it over here, the arm pretty much becomes useless. It, it can't function because it's now been disconnected from the body and ultimately from the head, which is Jesus Christ. And so, so what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is he describes what, what it should look like for the body of Christ to function together, to worship together, to, uh, to operate together as believers. And so as members of the body, one of the beautiful privileges that you and I have is, is that as a church and as believers, when we come together or even when we're um, not together in person, we have the privilege of nurturing and sustaining one another. Uh, we have the privilege of encouraging one another. C.S. Lewis, actually, um, he before he became a believer, um, he was an atheist, 
and he actually resisted this whole concept of the body of Christ at first until he realized how beautiful it was when God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, would nurture one another, sustain one another. And I, I know, folks, I think if we're all honest in this room, we go through seasons in our life where it, it's very beneficial when we have other believers that are praying for us. We have other people that we can count on, other people that will come alongside of us and walk through, through some difficult trials with us. It's great when we're not alone and we have other people that we can talk with. That's the beauty of the body of Christ, people that are here to nurture and sustain us. Uh, one writer said this, we go to church so as not to be alone, alone in our joys, alone in our suffering, alone in the everydayness of our lives, alone in the important passages of our lives. We go to church to tell people we love them and hopefully to hear them tell us the same thing. Members of the body us in this room, we can stir one another on in our growth in Jesus Christ. One of the privileges and the beauties of the body of Christ is that you with me and me with you and us with one another, we can stir one another on to grow in Jesus Christ. We, we can push us a little bit further or, or challenge us or encourage us in our relationship with God. Paul Paul would oftentimes, if you read any of his letters, he would oftentimes pray for the churches that he visited, the churches that he planted, or even churches that he never had an opportunity to get to. He would oftentimes pray for those churches to grow in the relationship with Christ. We see this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters, Paul says, verse 10, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous care produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And then we should do the same for one another. Mm -hmm. We should be praying for one another. We should pray, uh, I, and it's one of the things that I, I, I do often, even in my own prayer time, I, I've said this before, I have a list of all of your names that I go through and I pray for each one of you, that you would grow in your relationship with Christ, that you would begin to understand the depth uh, of His love and His majesty so that you would grow closer to him and experience all that he has for you. Robert Holland said this, others become agents of grace in our growth toward wholeness in Christ while we become agents of God's grace in their growth. We can stir one another on to grow in Christ. Members of the body, one of the things that we have the privilege of doing is we can hold one another accountable. We can speak into somebody else's life and say, uh, how about we, we steer ourselves in this direction? Or, hey, um, maybe we should try this or do this. Members of the body, we, we learn to be less self-centered and more others-centered. When we recognize our responsibility as members of God's family, it, it's not so much about um, our own interests, but we start having an interest of others that are a part of that body. Number five, we're given... One of the privileges we have is we're given the life-giving spirit in order to have victory over sin. As members of God's family, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the moment that we accept Him as our Savior, you and I are given that life-giving spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, comes to live inside of you and me. And it gives us the victory. It gives us the ability to have victory over sin. Listen to what Paul says, Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Because you belong to Him, you're a part of His family. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. As members of God's family, we have the Spirit of Christ living inside of us that will allow us, if we choose, if we will choose to walk in the power of the Spirit, we can have victory over the sin and over the struggles in our life. Number six, six privilege is this. We discover 
God's purpose for our life in relationship to his kingdom. I won't ask anybody to raise their hand, but I think probably all of us in this room at some point in our life, we've wrestled with the question of what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What direction is God calling me in? What does God have in store for me? A am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I where God wants me to be? That's a question I think as human beings at some point, whether we're young, old, or maybe multiple times in our life, we wrestle with the, with the question of purpose and, and, and what is our life's meaning and what does God have in store for us? Our God-given purpose and identity, folks, I want you to hear this, can only be realized and known in Christ. If we try to figure out what my purpose is in life, what my meaning is, or, or what God is calling me to do, I can't find it apart from Jesus Christ. I can only find meaning, purpose, and value through relationship with Him. Psalm 139, I'm not going to read it, I don't have time to, to read all of that, but, but we get this picture of, of we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image, and it's in His image that we've been created, and therefore our purpose and our life meaning is related uh, to His direction in our lives. Number two, the family of God is God's tool of reaching a lost world for Christ. I want you to hear that. The family of God is members of God's family. That is his tool that he has chosen to reach a lost world for Christ. Um, one writer said this, we will, never, uh, we will never be perfect people, but imperfect people committed to a radical spirit-empowered love that can change their relationships and change their world. God has chosen. He didn't choose some perfect structure to reach the world for Christ. He chose us. He chose the body of Christ. He chose an imperfect um, human being to be his tool, to be the avenue by which he would change the world uh, for himself. He didn't choose a specific government. He didn't choose a specific system or structure. He chose the church, broken and bruised, to reach those who are broken and bruised. But when we are committed and we understand that we are members of God's family, God will use us to reach the world for Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. And the final phrase is that he did this so we would praise and glorify him. As members of God's family, he has chosen to reach the world through us. Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What is our vision, our mission statement here? It's to develop biblically sound believers who do what? Who reflect the character of Christ. As we reflect that character, as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, he uses us, imperfect, broken, and bruised people, to reach the world for Christ. We're called to reflect that character. Finally, let me just end with this. Very practically speaking, then we talked about how is it even possible for you and I to be members of God's family. It's possible through Jesus Christ and the cross that he went to. That's the bridge that, that allows us to draw near to a holy God. Talked about several privileges, and, and there's so many more. I could probably talk for hours about all of the beautiful privileges you and I have as members of God's family. But, but very practically speaking, what, what are the practices 
of those? What, what should our life look like as members of God's family? Not only do we have those privileges that are available to us, but, but as members of God's family, what, what is our role? What is our responsibility? What does that look like for us to live as sons and daughters of God? Let me just, I'm going to throw a few things up here, and these are just things to consider. Number one, gives us an opportunity to use our spiritual gifts in order to build one another up and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the, the practices of, of a member of God's family is, is we must and we should use the gifts that God's given us to build each other up and to advance the gospel. That may be the gift of hospitality or leadership, administration or worship or whatever it may be. We need to utilize those gifts in order to advance his gospel and to build one another up. Number two, we should show hospitality even to strangers, foreigners, and outcasts. Why? Because all of humanity is created in God's image. I know this is this can become pretty touchy in some situations, especially politically speaking, but I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about as members of God's family. We, we have a role. We have a responsibility to show hospitality, to love and to care for those that may be considered strangers or foreigners. And, and what Paul will say, what, what God will say when we even read in Scripture, uh, he will talk about how, remember how we used to be foreigners. We used to be strangers. We used to be exiles. God has brought us near. We are to live out the one another statements. There's several one another statements in the New Testament. Pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up. As members of God's family, we should live those statements out. Number four, some things we can do. We can join a small group, a discipleship group, or some type of mentoring relationship where you and I can be encouraged to grow in our relationship with God. One of the privileges that we have is that as members of God's family, we can stir one another on to grow closer to Christ, and we do that through relationship, through community with others. And finally, one of the practices of those who are part of God's family is we should consider others first. Oswald Chambers says, the key to the disciples' life is we become broken bread and poured out wine in the hands of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. We consider the interest of others even before we consider our own interests. Would you stand with me this morning? I want you just to close your eyes for just a moment. I want to end just by giving you an example of, even in my own life, where I experienced the body of Christ um, really put on display in a pretty powerful way. 2008, um, I had the uh, privilege um, while I was in school to actually go to Israel to study abroad for about six weeks very first week that we were there, we spent the first couple of days actually in the city of Bethlehem, actually primarily a Palestinian area at the time. We, uh, one particular day, uh, all of us in our group, we kind of divided up in threes and fours, and uh, we went to the homes of some Palestinian Christians that were living uh, in Israel or in Bethlehem, just to talk with them, to fellowship with them, to really hear their story and spend time with them. No, no other agenda. We just wanted to have an opportunity to 
to meet with them and, and to commune with them. My group consisted of uh, two other people and actually one of, one of the professors that was with us. And we went into this home of, uh, of a Palestinian Christian lady. She had a son, very young son, that um, I don't remember if they were expecting our visit or not. But when we showed up, we had to climb the stairs to a second room, uh, kind of apartment-like building. Knocked on the door, and the door was opened, and we were invited in quickly. And um, walking into this room, uh, the lady had very little. Very small room, um, one other place um, where the kid and the mom slept, and really that was it. She didn't have a lot. That particular day, we were outsiders, we were foreigners, we were strangers in a strange land. But uh, when we opened that door that day, her face lit up and she quickly invited us in and uh, actually wanted to serve us an entire meal. Uh, we didn't really have time to stay around for uh, a whole meal to be prepared. That was not part of the plan that day, but she wanted to serve us an entire meal. We said, that's okay, but, but she wanted to show us and express hospitality. She, she actually sent her son uh, out to the, the street to go buy cookies from somebody. <laughs> he went and bought cookies. She uh, made um, prepared Turkish coffee. Um, it's a side note, that was the first time I ever had coffee. <laughs> uh, very thick, served in a very small little glass. And uh, I drank it all that day because she went out of her way somebody that had very little to show us foreigners, strangers, outsiders, such incredible godly hospitality. So I made sure to, to drink and swallow with a smile <laughs> that coffee that day and uh, left a little tar residue around the glass and it was thick. It was very, very thick. And then we just sat there and we fellowshiped with her, talked with her, heard her story. That particular day, and that's just a small, very small example, but we're talking about across the ocean, but that particular day as a foreigner, as an outsider, I had the privilege of experiencing godly community with a woman and with a son, somebody I had knew nothing about, a Palestinian Christian, welcomed us into her home. We had a chance to pray together, we had a chance to fellowship together, and experience what that relationship should look like. All eyes closed and heads bowed this morning. First of all, I, want to, I just want to ask two questions, and then we're going to close with this song. First of all, I want to just ask simply this morning, maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never really received and accepted the invitation to become a part of God's family. Maybe you're here this morning and you're still trying to draw near to God by jumping over the gap and every single time you fall into the hole. You might be a good person. You might have great church attendance. And you may be a great community person, but until you've accepted and placed your faith and trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, Every single time we try to get near to him or in Paul in that hole. So maybe you're here this morning and, and if that's you and you want to accept that invitation, you want to become a part of a member of God's family, that's not something to be shy about, not something to be afraid of, something to rejoice about. 
we want to rejoice with you this morning. So if you're here today, all eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. And you want to become a member of God's family. I just want to pray with you. If you would, just where you're standing, I'm not going to have you come forward, but if you just slip up your hand so I can see it, so I can pray with you this morning. If you want to become a member of the family of God, you're tired of trying to get there yourself, you're trying, tired of jumping and falling short every single time, and instead you want to just trust in the cross of Christ. I want to pray with you this morning. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? One more question. You don't have to respond to this. This is just for you to consider yourself. As we close in this song, as I close in prayer here in just a moment, just ask yourself this question. Am I, am I representing? Am I a good representative of God's family? Am I a faithful son or a faithful daughter of the family of God? Father, I just pray this morning for those that maybe are here in this room today. I want to become a member, part of God's beautiful and wonderful family. Maybe there's some that are here today that have tried to do it on their own. Tried to jump over the cliff, over the hole, and each time they keep falling in. Scripture is very clear. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Scripture is clear. All we have to do is confess with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. He is our master. And believe in our heart that God, you raised Jesus from the dead. Then we will be saved. Then we can become a member of God's family. Our familial status will change. No longer will we be strangers, foreigners, orphans, or fatherless. Instead, we will be members of God's family, citizens of heaven, sons and daughters of God. If there's anybody in this room today that desires to make that commitment, I just pray that they would simply invite you, Jesus, to be the Lord of their life. And Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that you would help us, help us to be faithful representatives of your family. Help us to represent your kingdom, your values, your purposes, well in all that we do. 